Let's get this party started. Welcome to Tinsel Tunes. I'm musician and producer Scott Newman. I'm musicologist Jay LaChapelle. Jay, we teased last month that spring was here, but now it's April, and I don't know about your area, but in Denver here, I've got green buds on the trees, I've got the grass starting to grow, like it's fully spring. How about you? Yes, it is presently 80 degrees here in uh, Southern California, so I would say spring has sprung, it, it, as, uh, as often as the case never really leaves, but yeah, definitely warming up quite a bit. When you think about spring, what comes to mind? It's very much like spring, I think, in the conventional sense at other places around the world and that life returns and uh, it just has like that kind of like hustle and bustle, I guess. Okay, so you kind of teased at what I'm trying to get at here. You said life returns, so I'm thinking about flowers. Yes. I'm thinking about showers and that kind of thing. Are there any animals that come to mind when you think about spring? I think for spring, you think of the returning life and you think of, you know, birds, flowers, coming back from flying south. Uh, We get uh, a lot of migratory butterflies that come through this area that go from north to south, or from south to north and and vice versa. So I think that's that's what, in addition to life, I think you got feathered and flying objects. (laughs) Good. Well, there aren't very many Christmas songs about butterflies. No. But I'm thinking of the birdiest Christmas song there is. What's the song that comes to mind if I say, this song is the most about birds you can get? Oh my God, it's got to be the 12 Days of Christmas. That's right. There are typical songs about Christmas presents. I wouldn't say there are typical songs about Christmas birds, but the 12 Days of Christmas is absolutely a song about giving birds as presents. And I don't know about you, I don't particularly care for birds. I'm kind of afraid of them. They got the beaks, they got the flying, there's no hands, there's talons. They're not my thing. Yeah, I am. I tend to be sort of I'm, I'm bird neutral, but there's something about birds that I would say I'm a little bit south on. Like they make me feel uneasy. And I think it's mm-hmm. the fact that they don't have arms or hands. Yeah. So if you think about the gifts that are given in this song, it's very, very bird heavy. And we'll get into that a bit today. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff about, you know, what these gifts would cost and how many gifts there are. So I want to talk about the history and and versions of the 12 days of Christmas today. How does that sound to you? It sounds good because I am I am genuinely curious to know. You know, was there a time? Apparently, we were born after the period of history in which birds were were so valued as a form of, of currency or, yeah. or, or or honor or tribute. But uh, it just I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, there's many yeah. things I could choose before I would want a bird. Yeah, I'd like a copy of Mario Kart Eight, maybe that new Breath of the Wild next year, something yeah. like that. So some of my Switch games, I don't want birds. Yeah, socks and toiletries come before birds. I think on my Christmas list. Yeah. Well, There's a lot of things that come before birds on my Christmas list, you know, oven cleaner. But let me play a version uh, by the Portland Choir and Orchestra just to kind of warm everybody up, get a little taste of the 12 days of Christmas. Now, is this this Portland, Maine or Portland, Oregon? I believe this is Portland, Oregon. (laughs) I don't think Portland, Maine has much of an orchestra. Christmas, my true love gave to me. A partridge in a 
So, Jay, one of the challenges about doing an episode on the 12 Days of Christmas is there really isn't a definitive version of the 12 Days of Christmas. There are lots of versions, but unlike stuff we've done in previous months, it's just kind of a grab bag. Do you even have a favorite that comes to mind? There's there's one particular one that comes to mind. When you say definitive, what is that like? Do you think, just so I'm clear, you mean like, are you suggesting there's not one version of the song that if you asked 100 people alive today, they would say this person's version is the definitive version of that song? Yeah, I'm thinking exactly like you're talking about, family feud style. Right. Like, what, yeah, is, yeah. what is the version that comes to mind when you say the 12 days of Christmas? For me, it's John Denver in the Muppets, but that's because I'm a child of the 80s. We'll definitely get into that version later, but I, I, just, I was just curious, any standout to you? Any come to mind? Probably two, and I, I think calling them standouts at large would be unfair. For me, the two are going to be the 12 Pains of Christmas, which is the Bob <laughs> Rivers uh, parody version, and then I think, I'm, I'm going to say it's Andy Williams' version, I don't normally like when he does this, but there's an Andy Williams version where he changes the words and embellishes a little bit and there's like you know there's like an extra verse or something or I, yeah i forget what you'd call it but uh, uh yeah. that version stands out for me just because it does have that little nuance to i like the rest of them are almost like i don't want to say white noise but they're interchangeable yeah this is also a bit of a contentious song i think a lot of people like it and a lot of people absolutely hate it for its repetitiveness so regardless of where you stand on it i thought a good place to start would be talking about what the 12 days of Christmas are. You want to take us down a, a quick road of what the 12 days of Christmas are? Yeah, and this has always been one of those things that uh, has made me wonder because, you know, I, I'm not, I'm a musicologist, I'm not a mathematologist, but like where are the 12 <laughs> days of Christmas and why 12 and where it fits in, you know, I think all yeah. of that is something that I never quite understood, uh, to say the least. So, um, and I'll, I'll give you a hint, Scott. I understand here that doesn't start on the 13th of December, so it's not why it's the 12 days of Christmas. Right. It is not the 12 days leading up until Christmas. It actually starts on Christmas Day, or for some people, they start counting it on the 26th. Okay. To a lot of people, it's, oh, it's the 12 days leading up to Christmas, similar to an advent calendar style, and that's not what we're going to talk about. Right, and it's it's sort of a, um, there's a bit of an Easter egg here, or kind of a Russian nesting doll, because this the story actually stems from uh, the amount of time it took the three wise men to reach the Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus and the, in the, uh, at the, in the whole manger situation, uh, and I'm not a uh, a practicing uh, theologist, but that, yeah, right. <laughs> that's what I understand. That right, right. We have the high points of the story there. You know, there. Yeah, the broad brushstrokes, as it were. There was no room at the Motel Six in Bethlehem. Born in the major, the three wise men got the idea. Uh, you know that the Son of God had been born. Uh, asked King Herod where the King of the Jews was. You know, tipped off a whole another problem there. But according to the nativity story, it took the wise men twelve days to reach the baby Jesus. Right. And this is the Easter egg in this story, which we have to, you know, to be continued at another time. These three guys, why they came and what they brought. And for the purposes of this discussion, it's how long they took them to get there that we'll talk about. We'll probably do an episode on the Carol We Three Kings at some point in the future and we can get into the gifts and the names and all of that. Yeah, but that's the that is the origin of the duration of time, why it's the 12 days of Christmas. It is the ties back to the amount of time it took these three dudes to get there. 
there. Right. So between Christmas Day and Epiphany, Epiphany is also called Three Kings Day for that reason. So it's December 25th to January 6th. Depending on which date do you count the 25th, if so, that it ends on the on January 5th, if you count the 6th, then it starts on the 26th. But either way, 12 days. Now, neither of us are religious scholars. We shouldn't go farther into the deep end than we're comfortable swimming, but uh, that's the idea of it. The song is not a religious song, though. Yeah, if, if, you ever, if we ever find ourselves in, an, in, a, in a quest and like we're presented with like a map on a wall and it's like some kind of religious, religious in nature and we have to solve it, <laughs> that's going to be the end of the quest. <laughs> well, no, we'll call Wayne from the Christmas Alphabet podcast, oh, which is an good. excellent podcast. We'll ask for his help. We'd phone a friend, but this song started as a children's game and a nursery rhyme. Did you know that before we started talking about this? This was this was new to me as well. I did not, no. It may have been a memory game that children played in the 1800s. So I have a little backstory. There was a collection of nursery rhymes published in 1842 by a man named James Hallowell Phillips, and it was called The Nursery Rhymes of England. He described this game as, quote, each child in succession repeats the gifts of the day and forfeits for each mistake. This accumulative process is a favorite with children. I, I think we can first agree that, thank goodness we weren't alive then, because that, that doesn't sound like a, something I'd, that would be my favorite thing to do. But it was a little memory game. You tried to remember what the gifts were for each day, and you had to give up something if you made a mistake. It goes on to say, the way it worked is the leader would say the first line, then the next would do the second day, and the next person would do the third day. If someone made a mistake, they had to forfeit or give up a small item. I would have have to just hummed my way through this, I think. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the 12 uh, days of Christmas without even looking? No. I would guess, and I can see it in the show notes, sure. so I can't fairly react. But I would say if you had put me under the gun, I probably could have gotten seven out of 12, I, I would guess. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, if you crack 50%, you're, you're probably doing well. For me, I'd probably have to start humming the song, and I would have to sing it backwards, and I think I would find my way into all of them. But if you just said, yeah. you know, point a gun at me, I don't know why you would do that. Please don't do that. But, uh, but you know, what, what were the gifts on the 11th day of Christmas? You know, that, that would be kind of tough. We're going to add a little wrinkle to this, Jay. The items from the nursery rhyme are different than what we know in the song today. So I put it in the show notes. Why don't you lead us through what the 12 original original items were. Can you do that? So, so these these are the OG. The OG uh, version. The original right. items. So tune your ears in, folks, because you're going to notice a few differences here. Uh, the 12th day of Christmas, uh, and this is how yeah, it's written, yeah. the 12th day of Christmas, my true love sent to me, 12 lords a-leaping, which right there just, I mean, we'll continue. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Just... 11 ladies dancing, 10 pipers piping, 9 drummers drumming, 8 maids a-milking, Seven swans a swimming, six geese a laying, five golden rings, but um, bum bum, four collie birds. And I want to stop right, here right. if I could, Scott. Collie birds, but I mean, have you ever heard that word before? Yeah, collie is an old English word that means related to coal. So the author here is talking about blackbirds. Ah, four blackbirds. Okay, good. Yeah, but I didn't know that before the research. I had never heard of a collie bird. Yeah, yeah. So not i.e. not not like a dog with no, wings. C o l l y. Yeah. Uh, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. And something just dawned on me. 
What's that? Um, so, first of all, okay, let me just back up a second, very quickly. Uh, so my first thing that hit me was twelve lords a leaping. So there's twelve guys here. Mm-hmm. There's ten pipers. There's nine drummers. I'm trying to figure out how many people that are part of this, in addition to just the birds. But then right. also like three French hens. Could that be slang for like three French ladies? Are those birds mm, for I sure? D- I don't think so, especially since the bottom half of the list is all bird related. So I don't think. So you don't think so? Okay, so I, no chance this guy was just describing a party or something like that. No, probably not. And being that this is like an old English nurse, nursery rhyme, it probably wasn't you know suggestive or used slang for ladies or something. I remember, we talked about the song Jingle Bells and how yeah. it was scandalous that you yes. might be in a sleigh with a woman. I don't think there's talk about three French ladies of the night here. You know? <laughs> okay, duly noted. <laughs> Move on. But it, it kind of breaks your brain when you go twelve lords a leaping, eleven ladies dancing. You're like, wait a minute, that's that's not the words, and they're not. Those are the original nursery rhyme lyrics. But in 1909, a musician named Frederick Austin, he took this traditional folk melody and he rearranged it into the song that we know today. He added the two-bar motif for five golden rings. So instead of five golden rings, you know, five golden rings, that kind of thing, a little, little extra there. Like a bridge kind of. Yeah. And then he added on before each new verse. So on the first day of Christmas, on the second day of Christmas. And then he changed collie birds to calling birds. And he swapped the order of items nine through 12 into what we know today. So that's the history of the song. And as I mentioned, we don't have a definitive version. We don't have the original recording of it. This is just a song that came from a nursery rhyme. Why do you think this song is so popular? I think it's popular in sing-along style because you know, for the most part, the words of each verse and you can sing along and you don't have to pay too much attention. And because they're sequential, you don't have to try to remember where you were in a verse. You know, if it's 10 pipers piper, well, in the original 10 pipers piping, you know the next one is nine drummers drumming because, ten, you know, nine comes before ten. So I think it might be something about that in, in sing-along. You yeah. know, but that could be the same reason that people do not like the song. Uh, my uncle is a, a singer in, in church in some groups, and he absolutely cannot stand this song because it's so repetitive. I always just thought of it as just really, um, you know, irreverent or just kind of silly. It is kind of silly. Would it break your brain if I told you that there were a lot of people that think this song has a secret Christian meaning Ah, to it? No, it wouldn't break my brain, but I'm very curious to know why. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break? We'll grab something to drink, come back, and we'll talk about the supposed secret Christian meaning of the song, okay? Oh, sweet. All right, Jay, we're back. And as we teased right before we took a break there, there are people that believe that there are coded references to Christianity in this song. So according to the theory, and it's a theory put forward by, I don't know, some sort of dude that puts together religious conspiracy theories, that the song was written to help Protestants learn their catechism lessons and pass them on while avoiding persecution. Now, one point of note here, that's the line that I found in the research I didn't think Protestants did catechism lessons. I thought that was a Catholicism thing, but I am way over my skis when it comes to uh, any kind of religious scholar stuff. So if I'm wrong, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But the idea in general is that Christians were being persecuted. This was a secret way of remembering and passing on lessons from the Bible. 
Does that make sense so far? It does. I mean, that's really, really interesting. I wish we had, uh, we'll try to get Dan Brown on uh, next episode. Okay, so. uh, I don't mean the author. There's a guy named Dan Brown who lives down the street from me. (laughs) So under this theory, here are how the various GIFs break down in their secret coded references, okay? So get out your decoder ring. According to the theory, two turtle doves represents the Old and New Testament. Three French hens represent faith, hope, and charity, the theological virtues. That, that one's really hard to spit out there. Sorry, three ideas. Uh, four calling birds would be the four gospels or the four evangelists. Five golden rings would be the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, six geese a-laying would be the six days of creation. Seven swans a-swimming would be the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, the seven sacraments. Eight maids a-milking would be the eight beatitudes. Nine ladies dancing, the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ten lords a-leaping, the Ten Commandments. Eleven pipers piping would be the eleven apostles. Twelve drummers drumming would be the twelve points of doctrine in the Apostles' Creed. And the partridge in the pear tree represents God or Jesus. According to this theory. I don't know about you, Jay. This seems a little far-fetched to me. And I've read, you know, I spent last night reading a lot about this. Did you read the Snopes fact check? I I did. And I'm going to summarize it as basically... If you were a persecuted Christian, you weren't singing Christmas songs in the first place. So you certainly weren't singing Christmas songs with coded messages in them. Interesting. Rather than try to go through the whole article, we'll put the link in the show notes. Go check out the Snopes article. They go into great depth about the holes in the logic of this. But what I just wanted to make sure we did today was cover that there are people that believe this. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying I don't buy it. Yeah. Make your own decision. I don't care. And it does it does make it interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's certainly plausible, but it sounds like it's somewhat shallow in terms of uh, reality once you start poking at it. Yeah, but I do think it's fun that these kind of ideas exist. There's bound to be some truth to some of these things and some and some reference. Well, like, well, maybe not an outright conspiracy. You know, it's hard to say, like, um, <laughs> like to me, three French hens sounds like a a euphemism or something of some kind. And, and it, it turns out it is. I was w- a bit off the mark on what I thought. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I do think it's believable. Let's get into something that's a little more tangible and something that you and I actually can speak to with kind of authority. We both work in the corporate world. Let's talk about what the 12 gifts would cost. Yes. I look forward to this every year. It is do one of the really? highlights okay, of the Christmas cool. season for me every single year. Yes. So every year, PNC Financial publishes what they call a Christmas Price Index, or the CPI, and it breaks down what the 12 gifts would cost that year. And you can look at it year over year to gauge inflation. So currently, the total stands at $41,205.58. One important note on that. There are two ways of evaluating the gifts given on the 12 days of Christmas. One is in aggregate, so that every day you get all the gifts listed again. Mm-hmm. Like, so you would get 12 drummers drumming and 11 pi- 11 more pipers piping and 10 more lords a-leaping. Mm-hmm. The other way they come up with the 41,205 is you get your two turtle doves once. You get your three French hens once. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, it, it changes the math on it. So the uh, aggregate way is 364 gifts. I didn't do the math on what the each day is its own thing um, in there. But I've got the prices, at least for 2019 of what each of these items would cost, okay? Okay. So a partridge in a pear tree, $222.68. 
Two turtle doves, $450. Three French hens, $255. Four calling birds, $599.96. Five gold rings, $895. Six geese laying, $660. Seven swans a-swimming, $13,125. This is the most expensive item on the list. Eight maids a-milking. $58, and I kind of wondered about that one. It gets a little weird when you think about this because you're not buying people, you're buying labor. So the amount of, I guess they're considering the amount of labor for eight maids of milking would be $58. (laughs) Eight maids of milking will cost you a lot more than $58 for a half hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a different show, Jay. That's Tinsel Tunes After Dark. Nine ladies dancing, $7,552.84. 10 Lords a-leaping, $11,260, 11 Pipers piping, $2,943.93, and 12 Drummers drumming, $3,183.17. And one more note, Jay. If you added the cost for each repetition, the 364 gifts, the total would be $179,454.19. Which is a 5% increase over the year before. 7500 for nine ladies dancing sounds more accurate than 58 bucks for eight ladies milking. <laughs> All the money is in dancing. You can't make any money in milking, apparently. <laughs> yeah, stay in school, kids. Okay, I like that. The, the Christmas price index. That, that's kind of fun. But why don't we take one more quick break, and when we come back, we'll start doing what everybody wants to hear, which are the notable versions and some of the different genre versions. Versions, and this time we're going to add a few parodies because this song is heavy on the parodies. Sound good? Yeah, it's good. All right, Jay. So let's get into some music here. We've gone a really long time, longer than we normally do without playing a few versions, but we went through the history, we went through the price index, we went through the religious conspiracy theories. So let's get into the cool stuff here. As we mentioned, we do not have a definitive version. Like you'd say, boom, it's Perry Como or it's Bing Crosby. But I do have some really, really good versions that are quite popular. So let's start with 1953's version by Perry Como. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree On the third day of Christmas my true love gave to me Three French hens Two turtle doves And a partridge in a pear tree So I don't know about you, Jay. That's a version that I'm quite familiar with and I hear it a lot. But I found one that I haven't really heard before and that always excites me. This is a version from 1984 by Roger Whittaker. Christmas, my true love sent to me five gold rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle and a partridge in a pear tree. On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. So, a bit of an interesting version there, but here's the one that is my definitive version as a child of the 80s. This is John Denver and the Muppets from 1979. 
I don't know about you, Jay, but I just love that. That's probably my favorite version. It's the iconic one to me. Yeah, I, it is good. And uh, that me, 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 me. <laughs> I think it's yeah. like, I think, I think that eliminates all other challengers <laughs> right there. <laughs> now, I wanted to play some versions by Bing Crosby, Burl Ives, and Frank Sinatra, but... The Grinches over at the Universal Music Group have been doing copyright strikes against our Jingle Jank episodes that contain their music. So I don't need these litigious Grinches coming after us here. So you know what? I'm not going to play them. Yes. But you should definitely go and look for Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Burl Ives if you like the 12 Days of Christmas. They've got some great versions. And it's sadly omitted here, but I don't want this whole episode getting taken down because we played a little clip of Frank Sinatra. Bunch mm. of jerk faces. Yeah. So let's move on. Let's move along to somebody who would just be happy to have their music played. That would probably be the Ray Conniff singers from 1962. On the second day of Christmas, my true love said to me, Two turtle doves and a partridge in the pear tree. On the third day of Christmas, my true love said to me, Three French and two turtle doves and a partridge in a I like that one a lot. I like the percussion. Uh, for some reason, I want to go cha 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 each time. Yes. Well, yeah, so More tambourine. Good on you, yeah, Ray Conniff. Like, there. Yeah. Uh, you're a big fan of acapella, right? Yes. Okay. Here's, very much so. Here's a straight no chaser version, and they do something really fun with this one. And I didn't put it under the parody section because there is a strong adherence to the song in the other verses, but this one's pretty fun. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. On the twelfth day my true love gave to me Twelve drummers drumming like Olympus above the Serengeti Eleven pipers piping Ten lords a-leaping Jay, for those keeping score at home, there's about a 100% chance that I'll be asking Alexa to play uh, Africa by Toto later, thanks to that version. That, that, that is fantastic, and that is an instant add to the playlist, and yeah. you just that is a yacht rock Christmas mashup crossover. I mean, that is like so many things. I I yeah, and we get some flack for playing Straight No Chaser and not playing Pentatonix. So you know what I did? I brought some Pentatonix today. On the ninth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me nine drummers drumming, eight needs a milking, so pretty fun. I like that one. I'm really glad that I brought the Pentatonix version too, because even though it's technically a cappella and those are human-made mouth noises, not electronic percussion. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Um, it, it very different than the Straight No Chaser one. So I thought that was fun. Those are what I would consider the notable regular versions of the 12 Days of Christmas. 
And we don't have as many versions today as we normally do, but I thought it would be fun to grab a handful of different styles of music. We did that last month with, uh, was it Jingle Bells? Yes. Where you named some genres and I played some versions of that. So I brought a few that I think you'll enjoy. The first one is a reggae version by Jacob Miller from subtitles when I listen to Jacob Miller's music, but it's, uh, you know, he's, he's quite the reggae artist. Yeah, I like it. I brought a trap version by an artist named Mob Vibe. I I think one of the things to point out here is that this song lends itself really well to electronic versions. Here's the trap version. I have a punk version or a kind of a rock punk version by a band called Reliant K that I absolutely cool. adore. This is from 2003. Sounds a little bit like like a sitcom band, but not a fair judgment. Go on. Yeah, and I said it was rock punk. I would call that more pop punk. So we've got a country version by an artist named Sarah Evans from 2014. And then the last one under the other styles that I brought today, Jay, I think you're going to like this one. This is a ska punk version from Goldfinger from 2018. Yes. On the eighth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me eight maids of milk and seven swans of swimming. And what's really fun about that Goldfinger version, every day they do a little bit of a different style. So counting backwards from 12, it doesn't yeah. feel very repetitive uh, because they, they keep doing it and they keep switching styles for each day. So really, really fun there. Kudos to Pedatonics and Straight No Chaser and Goldfinger for advancing the music, right? For like moving the ball <laughs> <Yeah>. forward. <laughs> Well, no list would be complete for this song without a couple parody versions. Of course. And this song lends itself extremely well to parody. And, uh, Jay, it's 2022 when we're, when we are recording this, 
and I'm just going to call it the COVID related Christmas song stuff. It's not working anymore. It's dated and it's just not fun. So I didn't include any of those, but I did include some that made a whole lot of lists of bizarre versions of, uh, of the 12 days of Christmas. So the first one is a version from 2006 by the band Twisted Sister. can't speak for you but i won't be putting that on any of my playlists no and you, I, our listeners can't see my face <laughs> but you can and you could tell that d snyder and twisted sister are a little bit like the friend in your friend group who like once did something cool you're always going to be friends with them but like they never let you remember they always go back like hey remember that time we sang we you know you're not gonna we're not gonna take it and you're like yeah d you were yeah. in twisted sister we yeah. get it <laughs> it's the al bundy four touchdowns in a yeah, single exactly. game for polk high school you. kind of thing <laughs> Uh, the next one, this one, uh, near and dear to our friendship. You were the one that introduced me to this song a very long time ago. This is Bob and Doug McKenzie from 1981. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a beer. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtlenecks and a beer. Okay. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me Three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer. Okay, that should be more there, right? Where? Uh, well, fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four pounds of back bacon. Three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer in a tree. Oh, yeah. Jr. Younger listeners will have no idea what the reference is there, and it was actually a little bit before our time as well. You want to fill us in on what the Great White North was? Yeah, absolutely. So you're hearing there, Bob and Doug, uh, courtesy of uh, Strange Brew and uh, and SCTV. And Which was like just, a Canadian version of SNL, if I understand right. Is that right? Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there's SCTV. Actually, it was a, it's a Chicago version. So Second City is what the SC oh, and SCTV oh, oh, stands okay. for, SCTV. And a lot of those guys, Eugene Levy. So there was, there was like sort of two crucibles or fountains of comedy in the in the in the early 1970s late 1970s the new york and in chicago that gave us many of the greats that went on to be the first cast members of saturday night live and the first cast members of SCTV. and you can look all cool. that up they're famous cool. but yeah very very right. cool the next one that i brought today is a guy named alan sherman and jay you might recognize alan sherman from a song he did uh, they go hello mother Hello, Fada. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, comedian, he's a right? comedian singer. I don't know if the song is called Hello, Mother or Camp Granada or whatever it's called. That that was his really famous one. This is his version of the Twelve Days of Christmas, and it's pretty funny. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me green polka dot pajamas and a Japanese transistor radio. It's a Nakashuma. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a calendar book with the name of my insurance man. Mark IV model. That's the one that's discontinued. Does this hold up? This one I think does, but we're going to get to one 
right next that I actually think does not hold up and I'm a little concerned about playing it but we're playing it as a point in time that is not today. Can we all agree on that that the views expressed by Bob Rivers may not be those of Jay and Scott? Yeah. All right. So here's a version by Bob Rivers from 1988. Well intentioned. Christmas cards. Oh, jeez. I'm trying to rig up these lights. And finding a Christmas tree. The ain't thing at Christmas that's such a pain to me. I was red farmer for Christmas. Charities, and what do you mean you were in laws? Five months of bills. Ah, uh, making out these cards. Oh, uh, Edith, get me up here, huh? Well, we have no extension cards. And finding a Christmas tree. Now, Jay, that song's pretty funny to us because at that time, that kind of humor was more acceptable. I don't think the phony, effeminate voice or the the Jewish woman voice, it's it, it just kind of a little distasteful now. You know, so apologies to those who might find it offensive. It was funny to us a long time ago when that was acceptable. Does that make sense? I know I'm trying to just explain it away. Yeah, I don't think there's in in objectively speaking, there are no offensive words in in the song. Like if you look in the words as they are written on paper, right. there's nothing in there that's like a word today that we would that we wouldn't use today. Uh, so that part, but I think the characterization of the effeminate yeah. Christmas card person and the other and the woman could be construed as a little bit over the top. You know, I think that's yeah. probably why. But I, I don't honestly I don't, don't know. <laughs> you know, like I, I think it's. I don't think they would release that song today. I think they would get canceled pretty quickly. Yeah. But you know, Bob Rivers as a historical oddity. He made some very, very funny Christmas songs. Yeah, I always look at it to say, like, and I don't know if this is checking out. It's not what I mean, but I kind of say, like, I don't have a horse in that race. And I think if people who do <laughs> are bothered by it, then I would I I'm fine with not, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't need to, I don't I would need play, to, like, I would, sending yeah. Christmas cards to me as being a, a, a ritualistic, annoying, but absolute must thing that you do every year. It, whining about it to me is not something that's tied to one's sexual orientation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a gender-neutral well, complaint. <laughs> if you thought that one was offensive, uh, hold my beer, because I have a version <laughs> from Jeff Foxworthy. This is the Redneck 12 Days of Christmas from 1996. Uh, Jay, there was a brief period in time where Americans were obsessed with the humor about rednecks. Uh, you know, as people from the South, uh, like hillbilly kind of idea. And I don't think we would use these words, but here it is from 1996. 12 pack of Bud, 11 wrestling tickets, 10 of Copenhagen, 9 years probation, 8 table dancers, 7 packs of red men, 6 cans of bath. Tires, three shotgun shells, two hunting dogs, and some parts to a Mustang GT. You know, I think one of the things about that song is that I have a lot of friends and relatives from the South, and they would characterize themselves that way. So it's not as much, and one, Jeff Foxworthy himself is from the South. He considers himself a redneck, and he says, these are the things that we do. So it's not as much of one group making fun of another group as much as a, a, a group of people making fun of themselves. But in general, we, we don't really traffic in that kind of humor anymore. You know, you were laughing during it it was pretty funny this is as much a history show as it is a music appreciation show so i wanted to play that one as well what did you think 
And Christmas music and history is musicology. It's the sociological yeah. study of music. And if you, yeah, there was a period in our time when the, this the blue collar comedy tour of which Jeff oh, Foxworthy was, was the leader was was massive. And I will admit, like I discovered Ron White, the comedian, through that. Yeah, Ron I used White. to think Ron White was hilarious. And Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, and I, just yesterday, compl- nothing to do with this show. I asked Liz out of the blue. I was like, "What happened to Larry the Cable Guy?" Like <laughs> yeah, I, mean, exactly. I haven't heard that. Like, there was a point in time when you couldn't throw a stone without hearing and now that guy's nowhere, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's come and gone. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the 12 Days of Christmas, Jay. Uh, Any versions that really stand out to you? Uh, Parody versions aside. I think parody versions aside, I would have to say that the Straight No Chaser mashup with uh, um, Toto's Africa Africa was just fascinating. Just, I mean... It just if somebody goes like it does something like that. It's just you have to be thankful that there are people that exist in the world that can make cool stuff like that that none of us can think of. You know, I've seen them live twice. They do it every time. That's so cool. And it's a hoot to watch. And it's just 12 of them on stage. Yeah. You, know? you might say that Pentatonix does a little more of the production and, and all that. This is just 12 guys. And yeah. There they are. Um, for me, I liked the version by Reliant K, even though it was very much like a commercialized Oh, I bashed punk. that one, too. Yeah, but I liked that one. I liked the Goldfinger version. Uh, and then for the traditional ones, I love John Denver and the Muppets. I'll yeah. always love John Denver and the Muppets uh, because it's what we all listened to growing up. Yeah, and I, um, I, I definitely uh, think in retrospect now looking back you said that at the beginning of the episode i forget if if you said it on air if we were talking that that was your favorite but yeah i think I did. Uh, uh and i would i would have to say i would agree with you too and i hadn't thought of that version specifically but when you hear that me 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 you realize <laughs> yeah. that just like even if you're not paying attention to the music and that song is playing when you hear me 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 you feel a little better inside and it kind of yeah. you hear it for a few seconds and so yeah I, I love that version too for me it's miss piggy going bum yeah. bump, bump bump after the five golden yeah. rings just fun memories in there but i really enjoyed this today jay it was a Fun little springish kind of topic with all these weird birds uh, you know, in here. And uh, I don't know. It was just a lot of fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. And I think we you know, do more of these kind of meandering like down a rabbit hole on some of these songs. I think this is the perfect time of year to do that. So I look forward to the, to the next episode. This has been a fantastic trip down into this origin of this song and the, the birdie nature of it. And I think, you know, understanding that it's like more of a sing along kind of song explains to me why there's so many bird references in it but i look forward to uh, i look forward to our next episode and i thank everybody for coming out and listening thank you very much scott for pulling together all the research and uh we want to see those five star uh reviews on itunes four stars is good we just want you to leave us some stars. Come out, let us know what you think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the more stars, the better. If, if you have a gripe, the only thing we'd ask is email us at tinseltoonspodcast at gmail.com or you can go to tinseltoons something or other. Go go to tinseltoons.com. You'll find all the ways to get in touch with us. You know, we'd love to hear from you, positive or negative. It's just great when people write in and say that they're listening or they like something or you doofuses, you missed this obvious version, uh, which happens. I'm hoping for next Next month that we're going to put the word out on social media early we'll probably do the little drummer boy and we'll ask everybody for their favorites i know that's a popular part of the show and it's completely my fault that we haven't done that 
honestly, last night I came up with the idea for this episode because I didn't have an idea and it's getting toward the end of the month. So that's on me. But next month we're going to try to do a lot better and hear from all the people with their great versions. Let them do part of the research. So go to tinseltunes.com and take it from there. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Tinseltunes.com. You can check us out on Twitter, tinseltunespod, at tinseltunespod. If you ah, want to hit us up on, the, on the old uh, on the tweeter, you can find us out there. Otherwise, on the tweeter, <laughs> the old like tweeter machine. Otherwise, enjoy your spring because bef- Christmas in July is going to be here before you know it. So start your shopping early. You've got time. Yeah, we have a special guest that's going to join us for our Christmas in July We episode. do, do we? Yeah, it, it might rhyme with Wayne Daly. Uh, <laughs> he reached out and asked if we wanted to do one together, maybe talk about the Brian Setzer Orchestra, uh, you know, like a like an album episode. Yes. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. So hopefully that one comes together. Don't quote me in case it doesn't, but I think it will. I think he's excited. All right. So thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you in May. Merry Christmas. Awesome. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad.